All right, let's uh, turn our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll conclude tonight. Just um, We've been going through the last many weeks on the spiritual fruit. We've been talking a lot about that and been going through the different parts or flavors, as we've called it, of the, the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll finish that, Lord willing, tonight. Galatians chapter 5, and just to see where we're up to, we see in uh, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And the next one there is faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And we spoke a little bit about the fact that throughout the course of uh, surrendering or being submitted to the, the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, that these become evident in our lives. And uh, we've looked at all the, uh, the, the previous ones, and now we're up to faith. And uh, faith is described and, and defined, again, as belief. Okay, it's the ascent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another. It's resting on his authority and veracity without other evidence, the judgment that what another states or testifies is the truth. And that's why we, we speak often about the faith once delivered to the saints. We're speaking about the, the truth or the declarations of the Word of God and how that is the faith. And we understand, I think, tonight that faith is an important facet of our, of our Christian lives. Okay? Faith is, is a requirement for salvation. In Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we understand, I think, the, the requirement of that. It's, it's a life given through Christ that is born of faith in Him and His death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel. And so if you're saved here tonight, we were saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so an understanding and a belief of that, an assent to the mind of that truth, is the, the reality then of our salvation. But the part of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. And remember the, the story that the, the disciples asked, Lord, increase our faith. So faith is not just something that, that is uh, the beginning of our salvation, the beginning of our journey as, as believers. It actually should be something that is growing. You, you think about the illustrations that the Lord Jesus gave about faith, and one of the ones that we're clear about, it's faith is, a, is, is like a grain of mustard seed. You know what seeds do? Seeds need to grow for them to be useful. And we understand then that, that as it's described for us here, the fruit of the Spirit, then this is a growing faith. This is a faith that is active. This is a faith that is, is um, becoming more and more assured of all of the declarations that we see in Scripture. And so I want to turn to, to now chapter 2, Galatians. Uh, we're there already, Galatians chapter 2 now. And notice a couple of things here in verse 16. He's knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And again, giving that contrast between the law, which was... In, in the Old Testament declared through Moses, saying you can't be justified by the law, you can only be justified by the institutionary death by the faith of Jesus Christ. 
by, by the fact that we believe in his substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary. And we understand that and it was taught uh, to us through the, the, the work of, um, of Paul and the declarations God gave him. But skip down with me, look at verse 20. And we, we often would quote this verse probably, but it's in that context. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, notice this, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so our understanding of that now is that the faith that saved us is meant to be a growing faith that is now lived, lived out in our lives. Right? We live now by the faith of the Son of God. And so it must be that our lives then are meant to evidence this, this growing faith, this confident believing in Christ, this confident believing in all that He has declared. And, and, and that's why, you know, you'll often uh, hear in, in preaching the, the, the importance of reading the Bible, but also studying the Bible. And, and then paired, paired with our walking in the Spirit, that's meant to be a growing confidence and, and a growing belief in all that the Word of God has to declare. And I think all of us here, we, we come on a Sunday night, we would come on a Sunday morning and perhaps even a Wednesday evening and, and often we would open the Word of God. And I hope those are the times that we would come prepared, walking in the Spirit, not just w looking for a correction or looking for some sort of, um, some sort of motivation that day, but really it's, it's meant to be a growing confidence and a growing believing. That, that's what the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, faith, is all about. And, you know, this is the Holy Spirit giving us an unwavering assurance that whatever circumstance, we can trust in who Jesus says He is and all of His promises. You know, you think about, uh, think about the, the disciples when they were in the midst of the storm. And you remember they, they were, the, the winds were boisterous, and Jesus calmed, and, and you know, His rebuke to them wasn't, O ye of little courage, He said, O ye of little faith. That was his declaration to them. It wasn't the fact that, that you know, they, they lacked courage per se. All of that was contingent on them believing in who Jesus is. And it's not just, it's just, not just supposed to be where we have a rudimentary understanding of all who Christ is and all of his declarations. No, that's meant to be a growing thing in us. That's what fruit is. And, and so the fruit of the Spirit, faith, it is meant to be this, this growing confidence, growing believing in, in all that Jesus says He is and all of His promises. Look, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice what, what Paul says here. He says, it is a faithful saying in verse 11. For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. It says, if we suffer... We also shall reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And verse 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You know, what's happening in us as we, uh, as we go through life's ups and downs and we go through some of the testing is that at times we go from faith to faith. Sometimes there's a wavering of that. But what doesn't waver is the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of Christ. You know, we think about all of the fruit of the Spirit, all of that, really, when we think about it, is evident in who, who God is, who Christ is. 
And we see that he's saying, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You know, that witness in us of the Spirit of God working it is meant to calm us, but then also give us a greater confidence and believing in all who Christ is. And, you know, you think about all of the, the, uh, those who have gone in the past. We sung there in that song, O Church Arise, about the, the saints who are lining the way. You think about all of the stories you, you, maybe you've read about uh, in regard to all of the, the saints who, uh, who, who confidently, even through the peril of sword and peril of, uh, of trial and trouble in their lives, went through a great deal but were unwavered in their faith. We see those who are giving up certain ambitions and certain goals. Why? Because they just believe God. And what we see, look at Revelation chapter 14. And notice with me, verse 12, what that, that fruit of the Spirit is in their lives. It's really faith being manifested. Look at verse 12. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. And notice this, and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And so we notice there that, that he's saying this is the patience of the saints. It's the faith of Jesus in them. And they go through, and I heard a voice. He says, blessed are the dead, says, and, and that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You know, the, the reason why we continue to serve, the reason why sometimes when we go through the, the ups and downs of life and the, sometimes we labor without really seeing fruit sometimes, you know, the physical fruit that we spoke about, sometimes souls, changed lives, uh, those who are uh, after our kind that we learn about. Sometimes we labor and we labor and we labor and we don't always see it, right? You know, I think about missionaries of yesteryear. I think it was uh, Adoniram Judson who, for, for the length of his time over in Burma, didn't see one, only saw one in 12 years saved. But it wasn't until after his death that he really did, did he really see. And you know, sometimes we'll go and do something for the Lord and try to live for Christ. And what he's doing is he's trying to help us see the unsee unseeable. That's what faith is. It's about uh, understanding this dynamic between faith and sight. And, you know, when we see things, that's sight. When, when we're, we're driven by, you know, immediate results and immediate blessings, that, that's not always faith. But it's actually in the hard times, it's actually when we can't see things, that's when faith is most needed. And faith is, is most needed when it's needed. It's most needed when we don't understand and we can't see and we can't seem to. And that's when the fruit of the Spirit, faith, is actually most needful. You know, we read earlier in our Bible reading in Hebrews 11, verse 1, that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And that's why really faith is best formed as we, we submit ourselves to the Holy Ghost and we submit to His working in our lives and He continues to evidence in our lives, even though we don't see it, those things that He promises for us in His Word. 
You ever notice that it's, it's in those times when the, the promises of God's Word and His nature and His character are most sweetest is when we're going through some trouble. When we're going through somewhere where we can't see the way, we can't see past that situation, that's when faith is most valuable. He says that it's impossible for us to please God without faith. And so this being produced in us is, is really the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, you know, going through times where it seems that we're rigorously tested, that, that, that's what produces true faith, real faith in us. See, all of God's promises and declarations tested are tested at times in the most rigorous of conditions. And can I tell you that He's always been true, hasn't He? And what we see is that that's what, what God is trying to do. Look at Romans chapter 4. Look at Romans chapter 4. And we see this in the life of Abraham. Often we call Abraham the, the father of faith. And we see this in his life. Notice verse 16. It says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace... To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's saying, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And remember the, the story about Abraham was God called him to go to a place that he knew not. He, he gave him promise that really, when you think about it, is, is pretty impossible to see, come to fruition. And yet Abraham followed. He followed by faith. But God had to remove him from that place of comfort that place of familiarity, that place that he called home, and to journey somewhere where that was unseen. That, that's the whole point of faith. It's unseen. It's the evidence of those things that were promised us. And we understand that Abraham wasn't perfect. There were times where Abraham tried to, tried to make the promise come true in his own life. He went through all of that, and yet God was faithful and God still blessed Abraham in his old age and through Sarah who gave Isaac as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a conclusion of that promise that God gave him. And so we understand then that Abraham, and it says here he hoped, he, he, we who against hope believed in hope. And that's, that's really the, the, the producing of faith in our lives is that when we can't see hope, God gives us hope. That's what comes about. You know, so many Christians I think about who went through some tragedies and are still following God. You know, we have a world full of those who would deny God because of some of the things that they see. And yet what that is often is this. It's just they're not walking in the Spirit. They're not submitted. They're submitted to their sight. They're not submitted by faith. And so faith is that producing of a, of a confident believing in Christ. How have you grown in your faith? Not just knowledge. Not, I'm not asking tonight whether you've grown in your knowledge 
I'm, I'm talking about that believing, that depth of knowing that, that he's, come, he's come to uh, to meet all of those promises that he's given. And I wonder if, if those trying times in our lives are actual opportunities if we're submitted to the Spirit of God of deepening our faith. Because that's a fruit of the Spirit. And so we see the next one. What's the next one? Meekness. Meekness. And that's what I had to look up. Meekness is simply softness of temper. It's a mildness, a gentleness, a forbearance under injuries and provocations. And it's very similar to long-suffering. You know, we often hear of, the meek, of meekness as being strength under control. And that's often how we've defined it. We have examples in God's work, word. We see the meekness of Moses, right? Moses, in fact, the Bible says, was the meekest man on earth. And in his meekness, he went through all of the things that he went through in the wilderness with the people of Israel, all, all of their murmurings, all of their complainings, actually all of their personal attacks toward Moses. And you know what? It was only once that Moses lifted up his voice in frustration. I don't know about you, but you, you sometimes you travel, and again, sometimes you have little, little kids in, in the car, right? Whether it's 10 minutes or 10 hours, are we there yet? And constant complaining. And, and you know what? Often, if I'm honest with you, I would, because in, it's in my strength to do so, turn my head and go, would you kids be quiet? You know what Moses didn't do was he just, he, what Moses often did was he interceded for them. You know what that was? What, what characteristic that was? It was his meekness. Meekness, it has the emphasis of enduring the, those personal injuries over time. Okay, he, Moses, he went through the wilderness and the children of Israel who continued to murmur. Um, go back to Galatians chapter, now ch- chapter 6. Go back to Galatians, but now chapter 6. And notice verse 1. Notice he says, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. He says, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. And that's interesting there in verse 3. We, we note there that um, after this, the, this list in, in chapter 5, uh, regarding the fruit of the Spirit, we are to do so in humility. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another. And, and understanding that really it's, it's embedded into this whole seeking and, and fruitfulness of in our lives is this humility. But he says there that if we're going to help someone, if you're spiritual, restore someone in the spirit of meekness. Not in the spirit of other, he's saying spirit of meekness. You know, sometimes when you're working with, with those who need to be restored, it can become a game of patience. Sometimes it, we can easily lash out, but he's saying there it's in the spirit of meekness. And this is speaking about our ability to keep going even when we were harmed, even when we're injured or wronged. 
it's a personal. The difference with this and long-suffering, long-suffering is resting on the Lord about things that we can't control. That's what long-suffering is. But what meekness is, is resting in the Lord when it is in your control to do something. You know, it's often harder when something is within your grasp to control it. It's often difficult when you know you could do something and respond when in meekness you don't or you don't go all the way. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians chapter 3. And notice, uh, notice verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, born nor free, but Christ is in all. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. And notice this, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Notice in the same, in the same context as forbearing and forgiving and quarreling comes this whole thing of putting on meekness. Uh, Look at First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. It says, But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, verse fourteen, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. How? With meekness and fear having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Notice again, it's in the context of responding. How do you respond when you're personally attacked? How do you respond when you're asked to give an answer? He says you're supposed to do so in meekness. You know, you could respond and you would be right. But you're supposed to do so strength under control. You know, you could lash out. You could just, you could, you could have every point and you could just use them as bullets. But in meekness, you, you control that. You're under control. Uh, this is a need for those who, who minister in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And in meekness is softness of temper. It's, it's like a river that won't be stopped by obstacles, but what it does, it doesn't have to go through it. It can glide around it. And, and it still makes the point, but it's, it's done without damaging. That's meekness. And I'll tell you, only the, only the Holy Ghost in the life of a believer can help produce meekness. There's not many people who are naturally meek. All of us want to use what we have in our own hands. All of us want to use what we have because that's just the natural response. 
but we're speaking about the fruit of the Spirit here. And so we understand that only the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer can help us be meek. And, you know, it's, again, you think about the Lord Jesus. You think about what he had in his hand to do. He literally could have called all of the angels. He literally, in, in his life, even just there when he was betrayed in the garden, he could have, right? But he, he showed meekness. In fact, the Bible says he was reviled and reviled not again. And we see, even on the cross, Father, forgive them. Boy, that's our Lord Jesus. But, you know, it was also evident in the life of another person, Stephen. Stephen, who was stoned and was martyred, he said that too, Father, forgive them. And that's, that's, that's an example that we see in, in the life of a savior, but the life of a person who's just like us. But you know what? It's not, it's not in them. It's by the, the work of the Holy Ghost in our lives. And so meekness. But then notice the last one and short one tonight. We see it in temperance, temperance. And temperance is described by, by Noah Webster as moderation. It's habitual moderation in regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions. So it's restraint or moderate indulgence. Um, temperance, in, uh, temperance in eating and drinking. Temperance in the indulgence of joy or mirth. Temperance in eating and drinking is a, as opposed to gluttony and drunkenness and in other indulgences to excess. Now the Bible says, let all your moderation be known unto men. Uh, another author said this, it speaks of habitual governing of the natural appetites and passions. Where a thing is sinful, it would mean the ability to refuse entirely. Where a thing is not sinful, it would mean the ability to deny the flesh hurtful overindulgence. That's what temperance is. And, you know, it, God has always wanted man to limit his appetite, limit his natural desires. And you, you think about even the first man, right, even in the act of marriage, he was given one wife, and then before marriage, it's abstinence. All of that is, is built in in God's mindset. You know, it's some, some, some songs and even some versions of the Bible will say temperance is self-control. That's usually the word it's, it's replaced with. But you know, temperance isn't self-control, because man's proven over and over again that Man cannot control himself. Right? It's not just discipline. Okay, what temperance is is spirit-filled control. It's when the, the Holy Ghost of God is, is filling us to control us to 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 it's the the, the flesh and, and its desires submitted to God's control. That's what temperance is. And look at look at first Corinthians chapter nine. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and, and notice here with me an illustration he gives. Look at verse 24. Know ye that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible 
I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know what he's saying here? He's using the illustration of athletes. He's saying that they, they run all, they're, they're doing so for a, incorrupt, a corruptible crown. But he's saying in verse 25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Okay, in that sense, he's speaking about temperance in, in this way of self-control. But he's using it as an illustration of us as Christians. What temperance is, is just being submitted to the Spirit's control. Understanding that, that he's, he's the one. We spoke about the tongue a couple of weeks ago, how no man can tame it but one who is perfect, mature. And that's speaking about, again, the need to, to control even that through the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. And he's saying here that, that athletes, you know, they, they, they do so for a corruptible crown. They're temperate. You think about those that, that earn the big bucks as far as uh, athletics and all of that and Think about all of the accolades, you know, they, that's not just, this doesn't happen. We, we don't know the story of them, how they had to, uh, had, they had to you know, control their, their appetites. They had to train at 4 a.m. in the morning each and every day. They had to do their laps. They had to do all of that. They were told what to eat. You know, uh, we're talking with, um, with, with my kids. Malachi was saying, oh, Dad, I want to be a sports person. And I tell them, you know, sports people have to eat the veggies, right? Why, they have a tight diet. If you want to succeed, you've got to be under control. You don't just go and do whatever and, and then, you know, hope to succeed. No, but they do it for a corruptible crown. We do it for the incorruptible. And what that is, it's, it's being not under self-control, but under the Spirit's control. That's, that's the, the last flavor of the fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14.32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. They're under control. Right? Proverbs 25.28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And so someone who is just out of control it actually is not someone who is filled with the Spirit. Because someone who is filled with the Spirit is someone who is subjecting themselves and their desires to the Spirit's control. It's about understanding that, that, that those things that please God and those things that need to be under control, the, the, those appetites that aren't necessarily sinful, but the ability even to deny the flesh over hurtful overindulgence. And, and we don't have to live out of control. We see that. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, look at verses 5 to 7. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. That word mortify means to cut off, to make dead. It says fornication uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So he's saying those who are unsaved, his wrath is upon those who commit these. 
He says, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. So he's saying, mortify, he says, but now ye also put off all these. And then verse 10, notice this, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He's saying there that actually you're, you're, you're meant to put off these things and you're able to. But you're meant to put on the new man. You're meant to be renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created you. And uh, we don't have to live under control. Is uh, Out of control, we ought to choose to live in control. And what that is, is it's our faith in Christ. And it's our understanding of, of the fact that we're indwelt by the Spirit and we're supposed to be submitted to his working in our lives. You know, too many Christians, we're just, we're just under... We're, we're, we're not under the control of the Spirit of God. We're under the control of our own fleshly appetites. And I'll tell you that because I've experienced it because I'm flesh too. And, and we understand that, that in those times, it, it, the problem isn't so much about the habit, it's about who's in control. About who's the one that you're submitted to. Are you submitted to your own appetites? Or have you submitted your desires and your appetites to the Spirit of God? Right? When, when Paul was speaking to Felix about the Christian life in Acts 24, he spoke about temperance. You know what that is? It's indicating to us that our life in Christ is a temperate life. Look at Titus chapter 1 and, and we'll be done. Titus chapter 1. And notice verses 7 to 9. So here's the qualification for a pastor. He says, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, verse 7, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Okay, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So he's talking about that, the, all of these limitations per se, but then notice chapter 2. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, the mature men, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, and, and likewise that the aged women. So he's saying there, be sober, be grave, be temperate. Now again, it's a marker of maturity. It's a marker of maturity. It's an understanding that you've got to bring yourself under the control of another. And doing that produces the fruit or the flavor of the fruit of the Spirit of being temperate. You know, there used to be, uh, many years ago, the temperance movement. And what they did, they, they did away with all alcohol. You know what we live to, in, in today, the world that we live in today, is the, the polar opposite of that. It's about indulgence. It's indulging. Just because you can indulge doesn't mean that you should. But you know, our world says indulge. It's all here before you. And yet, part of the flavor of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is to be under the control of the Spirit. That's what, that's what being tempered is. And so again, as we examine our lives, as we think about spiritual fruit, you know, we, we've covered a lot of Things And I don't know what area that God's uh, prodding your heart about. 
But in many of these things, as I, I thought, thought through them and as I studied them through the Word of God, God reminded me again, where's that, where's that in your life? You know, what, what is evidence there? It's, it's what we see in all of these, really, they're the characteristic of the spiritually mature. Because again, it's through patience we bear fruit. And we, we've got to just continually, daily, be submitted to the Spirit of God, submitted to His working in our lives. And what we'll find is we will produce fruit. And at the end of the day, why do we want to produce fruit? Because it gives God all the glory. Okay, that's what glorifies God. So there, there it is. It's, the, it's fruit. Fruitfulness is about Christ being reproduced in others. It's the production of the nature of Christ in us. Fruitfulness is an, really an organic result of our closeness with our Savior, our faithfulness to Him, and our willingness to obey Him. And it will produce a character change. It will produce an action change. It will produce an investment change. And finally, a change in our nature. We'll find it over time. We'll find it in others whom we birth in Christ. We'll find it in our likeness to Jesus. And only through the Holy Spirit working unhindered in us can we find it. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of fruitful Christian we want to be. You know, each and every day we ought to get up. And we ought to ask the Lord, Lord, bear fruit in us. But you know, that prayer means this. Really, Lord, here's my life. Here's all my wishes and dreams and my desires and my, my, even my natural desires, and I submit them to you. And, you know, if you're that kind of Christian, what I'll tell you is you'll be a fruitful Christian. And that's what I hope we will be, collectively as a church, but certainly as individuals as we go on for the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your grace. And, Lord, it's often the case that when we observe our lives, we can recognize if we're honest before you and we're humble before you, Lord, the areas that need to grow and improve and the areas that we lack. And Father, that, that, is, that is a good thing, but it's equally a good thing to then step to the plate and then say, Lord, if that's the case, Lord, as you've shown me, help me then the, to be the kind of fruitful Christian that you want me to be. And I pray this week that we would just simply submit ourselves to you. And that, Father, we would just look to follow you and look to, to submit, Lord, even our, our own natural desires, Lord God. And then, Lord, to see then our working in our lives for your honor, for your glory. I pray that you bless the church. I pray for those, again, who, uh, Lord, are, are perhaps just, just in, the, in a place where they're seeing um, Lord, just a struggle in their growth, that they would just reconnect, Lord, with Lord, their walk in the Spirit, their walk with you. And then I pray that as we, we patiently walk with you, we patiently go with you, that you just help us to see fruit in our lives, Lord, so that you can be glorified with us. And so we pray and ask these things. We pray for your blessing on the week, and we trust you, Lord, in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name.